Well, find uh, Genesis 35. Genesis 35. Repentance and renewal in a believer's life. Repentance and renewal in a believer's life. We're continuing to march through the book of Genesis. Of course, we looked last week at Jacob's sons, Reuben and and uh, Simeon, or excuse me, uh, Simeon and Levi, who attacked the men of the city. Somebody's beeping. Anyway, thought somebody. Did y'all hear that? Am I hearing things? You heard it too? Okay. Okay, I want to make sure I wasn't hearing things. <laughs> anyway, we saw last week how Simeon and Levi attacked the men of Shechem and killed them all. And how as chapter 34 closed, Jacob is saying, uh, you boys have brought great danger and harm on our family because now all the uh, tribes and peoples of this area, uh, when they hear about what you've done, they are going to kill us for sure. And so chapter 35, in context of that, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to uh, Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah... Rebekah's nurse died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor 
and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Edor. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Mickey Cohen was a big-name gangster back in the 1940s and 1950s. One of his gangsters went to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles and received Christ as his Lord and Savior. Well, it so impressed Mickey that he began to investigate Christ for himself. He met a man man by the name of Bill Jones who was leading Christian laymen there in Los Angeles. And Bill Jones began to witness uh, to Mickey Cohen and even led him to pray the sinner's prayer. At the time, Jones was convinced that Mickey's decision was real. But he realized that he needed badly some deeper instruction in the Christian life. So he arranged for Mickey Cohen to fly to New York City and meet with Billy Graham. Well, it turned out that Mickey really only wanted the publicity of meeting with Billy Graham. He tried to have his picture made backstage with Graham. Uh, Graham wisely refused it. He did go to the crusade. He listened to Dr. Graham's message. Dr. Graham preached that night on hell and repentance and salvation. Uh, Mickey came under deep conviction and reporters were there wanting to know if he would make his public profession of faith. He did not. Well, he returned to Los Angeles He dropped Bill Jones as a friend, lost contact with his former gang members who who had been saved, and he started hanging around with the criminal element again. Bill Jones sought Cohen out and said, Mickey, as a new Christian, you need to be putting your old life behind you. Cohen replied, Jones, you never told me 
that I would have to give up my gangster career. You never told me I'd have to give up my friends. You have Christian movie stars, Christian athletes, Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? He said, if I have to give up all of that, count me out. Repentance. He didn't want anything to do with genuine repentance. Folks, if we're going to experience the joy of the Lord in our lives, repentance has got to be a part of our walk with God. What we see in our text tonight is the importance of repentance in Jacob's life. Once repentance was in order in his life, it opened the door that Jacob heard from God again and God blessed him. Now, we don't hear a lot about repentance today, do we? Uh, Cut on TV and listen to some of the preachers there. And when's the last time that you've heard a message on repentance? It's not likely that you have heard a message on repentance lately. And yet the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we know that without repentance, there's no holiness. The two go together. The Christian life begins with repentance and faith when we come to Christ. Is there ever a need for repentance to go into the background? We don't need it anymore. No. We are to live lives of repentance. The Christian life begins with it, but there is a continual need for repentance in the believer's life. You're never going to get to a point in your earthly life where you can say, I don't need repentance in my life anymore. Now, Dr. Alan Ross, in his commentary on Genesis that I've been referring to some, he points out that just like us, Jacob had gotten comfortable where he had settled down. First of all, in Laban's household and then in Shechem. He points out that when we get comfortable, what happens? We grow complacent. And when we grow complacent, what happens? We tend to forget about God. And you know, God was going to warn Israel later on in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that this would be a danger. That when they got into the new land, the promised land, and got comfortable, they would get complacent. And then once they got complacent, they would forget all about God. And God said, when that happens to you, I will bring judgment on you just like I brought judgment on the nations before you. Jacob gets complacent. I want you to see today that one of the reasons men and women uh, today are not experiencing the freshness of God working in their lives is because there's complacency and there's an absence of repentance. Tonight we're going to talk about Jacob, but we're going to include us in that picture too. 
So the first thing I want you to write down tonight is that repentance is a necessity. It is a necessity because of sin and neglect. Repentance is a necessity. It is a necessity because of sin and neglect. In his commentary on Genesis, Dr. Kent Hughes tells the story of boating one summer out on Lake Michigan. He saw a 40-foot yacht slip into the bay and drop anchor. As her stern came around, he noticed the name of this yacht, Residuals. He said the message was instant. The magnificent ship was the result of some very good investments, no doubt. Residuals. We like that, don't we? But as Dr. Hughes points out, it's the context that defines the word. On the back of a yacht, it announces good fortune. But written over a jail cell, it would communicate exactly the opposite. You could write the word residuals over Genesis 35. The chapter is going to record positive change in Jacob's life having to do with his repentance. But it's also going to show the residuals of his sin. You could almost say at this point that Jacob's chickens are continuing to come home to roost. Folks, there couldn't be a bigger contrast than that between chapter 34 and chapter uh, 35. Donald Gray Barnhouse points out, Chapter 34 does not mention God and is full of lust, murder, deceit, and wretchedness. But chapter 35 is filled with God. His name appears ten times plus once as God Almighty or El Shaddai. Plus eleven times in the names Bethel and Israel. Barnhouse says the contrast is striking as it always must be in the life of a believer living out of the will of God. And again when he returns to the will of God. You can see the hand of God at work in Jacob's life here. And you can see the fact that though Jacob has let go of God, God has not let go of Jacob. And so what does God tell Jacob to do? Get up and go back to Bethel. Jacob is to return to the place of his earlier vows. His earlier vows. What what happened? Do you remember when we talk about his earlier vows? Do you know what I'm referring to? I'm sorry, what? Yes, that place where he had seen the ladder, the angels, and he woke up and said, Whoa, I didn't realize that this is none other than the house of God. And he named it Bethel, which means literally the house of God. 
And just as Jerry said, uh, Jacob made vows and he said, God, if you'll look after me wherever I go uh, and I come back to this land safely, then of all that you bless me with, I will give a tenth to you. That was back in chapter what? 28. Before he journeyed on to Laban's household where he met Rachel and Leah. Okay? So it's been quite a number of years ago. And now in chapter 35, God is telling him to get back there. He's just experienced this this fearful thing that's happened to him in Shechem when his sons have uh, killed all the men of the village. And he's scared to death that he's going he's gonna to have a target on his back now. And God tells him, go back. Get back to Bethel. For some reason, he had stopped at Shechem. He had stopped short. He had never managed to get all the way back to Bethel. And now God's telling him to finish the journey and get back there. Now, folks, when we've looked at this chapter before, I've I've told you in previous studies, it's not simply about geography. It's about his spiritual life. Jacob needs to get back to those vows and those promises that he had made to God earlier. And again, to... To to date, he has stopped short. He has almost obeyed, but he's not fully obeyed. He's almost obeyed, but not fully obeyed. Arise, go up to Bethel, and notice what God says to him. And do what? Dwell there. Dwell there. Jacob, that's where you're supposed to be. Dwell there. You've gotten away from that. You've gotten away from those vows. You've gotten away from those commitments. You need to get back there. You need to dwell there. Jacob couldn't rest on those previous experiences. He's learned that. His life has become a mess. Dr. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, God doesn't allow his children to sin successfully. His life has been full of sin. It's been a wreck. It's been a mess. And so Jacob needs to repent. He needs to get up from where he is. And he needs to finish the journey that God had called him to. He needs to listen to God. He needs to obey. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody... 
like that tonight. Maybe God did a work in you years ago, but life since then has been pretty good. You've gotten comfortable and you've kind of just settled down where you are and you've grown complacent and maybe you've gotten away from some of those previous commitments and vows you made to God. And God's calling you to repent and return to those commitments that you made. We also need to repent because of God's holiness. All through the Bible, we see that God works through consecrated lives. I think of Daniel in the book of Daniel. How chapter 1 of the book of Daniel says Daniel purposed in his heart that that he wasn't going to let his life be defiled by the king's food or anything belonging to the king. And look at how God ended up using Daniel for those 70 years. Folks, God is looking for consecrated lives that comes through repentance and holiness. If you want to be used by God, you've got to be clean. You've got to be consecrated. You've got to be repentant. And so if there's any complacency or coldness in your heart, you've got to deal with that. And get back to those commitments you made. Maybe it was in a revival service one night when you walked an aisle. Maybe a Sunday morning service. You walked an aisle. And you yielded your life to the Lord. You surrendered your life to Him. But you've gotten away from that. You've just gotten busy about life. And you need to get back to that. You need to get back to what God called you to do when He saved you. You belong to the Lord now. Well, secondly, I want you to see that repentance involves action. He says, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household, To all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Folks, repentance is not something that we just talk about. It's something you've got to do. Jacob and his whole household had to take definite action. And that's what repentance is. The Greek word metanoia, that about face, that change. You're going in one direction and you change and you start going In another direction. Theologian Wayne Gruden says this of repentance. He says, and I quote here, 
Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. He goes on to say, of course, genuine repentance will result in a changed life. A worldly sort of grief may involve great sorrow for one's actions and probably also fear of punishment, but no genuine renouncing of sin or commitment, no genuine renouncing of sin or commitment uh, to forsake it in one's life. He goes on to say, it is important to realize that faith and repentance are not confined to the beginning of the Christian life. They are rather attitudes of heart that continue throughout our lives as Christians. What's Gruden saying there? True biblical repentance is not that you just feel sorry for what you've done wrong, but then tomorrow you're going to get up and do the same thing again. Genuine repentance leads to life change. That's what Jacob had to do. He could not stay where he was. Now, what did he do once he got back to Bethel? What did he do? He built an altar. Kent Hughes writes, The pilgrimage was to culminate in the building of an altar at Bethel, which was a long-standing site of Canaanite worship. And by doing so, to declare the name of the true God, the intent was to drive a stake into the heartland of Canaanite worship. So he was to repent, he was to get back to Bethel when he got there, he was to build an altar, he was to claim that place for the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Exactly. They had to get rid of some idols in their household. You say, idols in his household, what were some of those? Does anybody recall? You recall an example of those? Laban's idols that Rachel stole. Remember when Laban went in the tent looking for him and she was sitting on him? But apparently... On top of Rachel taking Laban's idols, that attitude must have been in other people as well. They had idols. And Jacob said, or God had told Jacob, you got to get rid of those. And then Jacob tells them, uh, purify yourselves and change your garments. In other words, God was carrying him back to that place to start over with Jacob again. And Jacob needed to prepare his heart and his household to get ready to meet with God again. He had to get rid of his household, whatever was not pleasing to God. 
And, and everybody needed to get their hearts ready to meet with God. They needed to prepare their hearts to encounter God. And in order to do that, whatever was in their lives that wasn't pleasing to God, they needed to get rid of it. You can't have your idols and your sin and God too. Folks, think about that. God will not share us. He's a jealous God. What's the very first commandment He's going to give His people when they get into the promised land? Or I should say out in the wilderness at, the, at, at Mount Sinai. What's the very first commandment? Have no other gods before me. God's not going to share us. You can't have your idols and your sin and God too. God doesn't want to be the top of your list. He wants to be the only name on the list. Amen. Amen. What's Jacob do with the idols? Buries them. Now, folks, some archaeological digs in this area of the world have yielded jewelry that had pagan images on them and the images of false gods on them. In all likelihood, some of the earrings and the jewelry that, that Jacob's household had, again... We can probably we can probably assume that some of theirs might have had some of these pagan images on them, because again, in modern times, in archaeological digs in that part of the world, it's it's common when they dig up, find ancient jewelry and earrings and that sort of thing. Typically, they will have some type of pagan images on them. Jacob buries them. Jacob buries them. Thirdly, what I want you to see is that repentance brings renewal. Verses 5 to 13. Pick up reading with me in verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob, Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Badan Aram and blessed him. Repentance brings renewal. What are we told here about the people in the area when they saw Jacob and Jacob's clan? They were afraid. They were afraid. Who do you think put that fear in them? God did. 
You know, Jacob was scared to death, the people of the area, as chapter 34 closed. They were going to kill him. But God puts a fear of Jacob in. When Jacob obeys, gets up, listens to God, and is going back to Bethel, God makes sure the people have a fear of Jacob. Remember what Rahab said to the spies? The dread of you has fallen on my people. We know that God is with you. It's interesting in the Old Testament how the neighboring peoples, when God's people were walking in fellowship with God, their neighbors could see that. They could see God's hand on them. Now, notice that God reminds him again, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. You know, back in chapter 32, when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, God changed his name. Remember that instant back in chapter 32? He said, what's your name? Did God not know his name? Of course he did. God knows everything. But what was he wanting Jacob to have to say? My name is Jacob. What was Jacob having to admit? I'm a heel grabber. I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. That's who I am. And when he admitted that, God said, okay, yes, that's who you've been, but that's not who you're going to be any longer. You're going to be Israel. You're not going to be the deceiver. God gave him a new name. God gave him a new name. <clears throat> What's Jacob called Bethel now? El Bethel, which means what? The God of the house of God. You see the difference? We've gone from the house of God to now the God of the house of God. In other words, it's not just the place that is to get the focus. It is the God of the place. Folks, we don't come to church just to go to the place. We come to church to meet with God. Who's the focus of church? Christ is. You come to the place to encounter the God of the place. Now, look at verse 9. What happens? God appears to Jacob again. God's been silent all this time. For 30 years now, Jacob's been making a living. He's been busy about life and God has been silent. Now that Jacob is repentant and does what God commands him to do, God speaks again. You know, some of you may feel like the heavens are strangely silent to you. But I wonder if it's because sin and complacency is in your life. That when repentance is in your life and you're obeying God, 
then you're going to have a fresh encounter with God again. Now, not only did God give Jacob a new name, but God revealed himself by a new name. What was that new name? El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. I'm looking at verse 11. And then what did God do? God renewed his covenant with Jacob. The covenant that God had made with Abraham and Isaac is now the covenant that God is making with Jacob. You see what I'm saying, folks? Repentance brings renewal. Jacob is finally in that place where... God is going to use him. I tell you, folks, it's been a long detour in his life, hasn't it? It's been a long, long, long detour in his life. A long detour. But he's finally back to where he's supposed to be. He's purified himself. He's consecrated himself. He's gotten idols out of his household. He's obeyed God. And now he's finally back on track again. But when we read something like this, it, it, ought, it ought to grieve us a little bit that it's been so long in coming. It didn't have to be. Jacob in verse 15 renews the name of the place, the name that he had already given it earlier. He's just renewing that. He's recognizing the place for being where God has dealt with him and revealed himself to him. Now, verse, uh, you, you keep on reading after verse 15. Jacob leaves Bethel, presumably just simply to go and see his father Isaac, who's down in Hebron. We're not told everything here, but has he gotten word about Isaac's failing health? Maybe so. I would guess that's what's happened. Because it's hard to believe after getting back to Bethel, he would leave Bethel again. I think he's gotten word that his dad needs him. So he's continuing to go south from Bethel and he's journeying southward, just straight southward. If you look at a map of the Holy Land, he's leaving Bethel and going straight down through Bethlehem and down to Hebron. And what happens as they're going down there to see Isaac? Rachel goes into labor. And she dies. She dies prematurely in childbirth. Dr. Alan Ross makes an interesting point here. Is there a connection that we are intended to see here? With Jacob's words to Laban, maybe so. Remember what Jacob had said to Laban? When Laban is going tent by tent saying, who's got my gods? And Jacob says, 
Laban, we don't have your gods. Somebody's got my gods. And what's Jacob say? If you can find out who's got your gods, that person will die. Who had Laban's gods? Rachel did. What's happening to Rachel now? She dies. So as Ross asked, are we to see her premature death in light of Jacob's words? Is God carrying out a curse pronounced by Jacob? Has Jacob condemned his favorite wife to death? Perhaps so. We can't be dogmatic about this since we aren't told, but perhaps so. Now, I want you to notice verse 22. Because in verse 22, Reuben is a scoundrel. What's Reuben do? Now, let, back up with me a minute. Who, who is Reuben? His firstborn. Who was Reuben's mom? Leah. Okay. Who was Bilhah? Rachel's handmaid. And Rachel gave Jacob Bilhah as a wife to raise up sons for her when she saw that she wasn't bearing children. Perhaps Reuben, the firstborn of Leah, perhaps he's close in age to Bilhah. Again, we're not told that, but maybe he's closer in age to Bilhah than we realize. Has he been nursing some kind of strong feelings for Bilhah and he finally acts on those feelings? Perhaps so. More likely though, while that might have been the case, this is nothing other than a power play. Like Absalom did with his father, King David. By taking one of his father's concubines, Reuben is trying to forcefully assume power away from his dad. It's kind of like Reuben is driving down a stake and saying to his dad, I'm going to be the king of the jungle now. I'm going to take one of your wives. It's not going to work. Later on in chapter 49, Jacob will pronounce a judgment on Reuben for doing this. When Jacob is dying and he's giving blessings to his sons... Look at what he says in chapter 49. Turn over to chapter 49 with me and look at what he says of Reuben. Chapter 49 and read with me verses 3 and 4. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. 
unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So when the patriarchs would pronounce blessings on their sons, that's what Jacob is doing, pronouncing a blessing on his son. He calls out Reuben and says, Out of my sons, out of my twelve sons, even though you are the oldest and normally you would have preeminence, you will not have preeminence. So Reuben thinks he's claiming some kind of power from his dad. But it's not going to work. He's going to pay the consequences of this action on his part. Because folks, remember what we see in the book of Genesis with the patriarchs in these blessings. In these blessings and cursings whenever... Whenever they would give blessings and curses, what would happen in that son's life? The things that the dad had said would actually come to play in that son's life. Now let's wrap things up tonight. But by doing so, uh, I want to ask you a question. Was Jacob saved back in chapter 28 when he had that vision of the ladder? And he said, and he first named that place Bethel. Was was he saved? I think he was too. I think he was too. But he was still carnal and disobedient and complacent. And it took all of these events in his life before he finally got truly surrendered and yielded. And when he got surrendered and yielded, God really used him. So I think he was saved 30 years earlier. But he's wasted an awfully lot of time. What's that say to us today? You better guard your heart. What a shame to let year after year and decade after decade click off the calendar. And your life has not really accomplished anything for the Lord. Redeem the time. God did great things through him. I wonder what God would have done through him had he been consecrated early on. To me, Jacob's life is a a testimony Also, among all the different lessons we could learn about Jacob's life, it is a testimony, as John has said, guard your heart and be careful that you're not wasting the years.
Live a yielded life. Don't just have a fire insurance policy. Live a yielded life. I wonder if somebody tonight would need to get honest with God and say, Lord, I need to repent. I need to make some very definite changes in my life. Maybe like Jacob for 30, maybe somebody tonight would say, you know what, for 30 years, for 30 years, that's a long time, I've been negligent, I've been complacent, and I've just gotten busy with living life. I've wasted a lot of years. Repent. And make the changes that God would have you to make that go with repentance. You might just find you have a fresh encounter with the Lord the way Jacob did. Perhaps there are some idols you need to lay aside. Do we have idols today? Yeah. May not be wooden images like they would have back then. Or it may not be jewelry with pagan symbols on it. But we have our idols today too, don't we? Can you think of anything in your life? You need to lay it aside. You need to lay it aside. And you need to prepare your heart to meet with God. Amen?